Why are elevator jokes so good? Because they work on so many levels. That should be the worst joke we've started with. Welcome to the Young Muslima podcast, a platform where we talk about life, wellness and spirituality. Okay, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. I'm sharing these things. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. So today I have with me someone very special. Um well her name is Zainab and I met her I, I I don't remember where exactly I met you Zainab but I remember that it was somewhere in the it was near the masjid was it or was it in Econs? I just remember in the economics building. Yeah, I think we were classmates and that's the first time we came across each other. Yes. In, we were cl- we were classmates. Yeah, we were classmates in university in a completely different faculty, but I met Zainab and ever since you were a presence that I always noticed. And then when you, we started um I think our social circles started uh, uh there was like a, an overlap and you knew people that I knew and so uh yes so I met Zainab and Zainab has a, wond- a wonderful sister a wonderful family mashallah and every time i met you guys i felt like i was always greeted with so much love and i mean a very um an umma spirit you know that kind of love not this intimate romantic love it was like a very sincere i love you for the sake of allah kind of love alhamdulillah alhamdulillah mashallah and i always felt um i always felt like you know these are not people like these are people that you want to meet and you want to talk to you know it was like some either something drew me towards you guys so um i'm not saying that we've been in touch every day ever since but i'm saying that that made me feel like you know what i can always like i'd always like to reach out to you to touch base every now and then just to see how things go and you know to mm-hmm. keep up because it's very rare that um yeah. girls especially get to meet other um sisters in islam i mean we meet a lot of people in our lives but mm-hmm. people who come together for the sake of allah and like love each other for the sake of allah that's so rare especially in mm-hmm. yeah. probably in your community as well and it's very common in, it's very rare in my community that you find someone who wants to connect mm-hmm. for the sake of allah so that's why i knew from the get go and also not to forget that mashallah i hope that i'm not going to um ruin it by saying it but you guys always mentioned allah always made reference to islam and that was really important like you want to come meet people who will remind you of allah when you leave a conversation you want to leave that conversation feeling a bit closer to allah and i always felt that after talking to you guys so that's why i knew that we need you i need you on this podcast i need to have this conversation with you jazakallah khair for having me So, first question. Can you tell all of us about yourself, who you are, your background, everything? Okay, sure. So, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim. My name is Zainab and I am first of all a Muslima, alhamdulillah. And I my background in terms of ethnicity and so on. My parents are originally from Pakistan, but I was born and raised in the United States. Um I was born in South America like the south of America which is Texas. I lived there for 5 years and then we couldn't really find a good Islamic school back then. So we ha- we had moved to Buffalo, New York after that. 
in Buffalo. That's where, alhamdulillah, I started my hifz when I was nine years old. We stayed there until I completed my hifz when I was 14. And after that, I wanted to further my studies in Islam. And I couldn't really find, I mean, there's a really good, mashallah, you know, an Islamic school there and a really well Muslim community that's established. But because of some rules that that Islamic school had and due to some, you know, um, unfortunate circumstances, we just planned to move. So we were doing istikhara, where to go, and alhamdulillah, subhanahu opened doors, doors towards the Caribbean, towards Trinidad and Tobago. It's like a really small country on the world's map. It's yeah. a dot on the world's map if you look at it. And subhanAllah, we met people. We actually met a brother from there, an African-American brother. And he was so kind and mashallah, he was very knowledgeable. So my, bro- my dad really liked him. He was like, where did you study from, you know? Because usually, like the the norm, I don't want to generalize stuff, but then the norm in America is that, you know, oh, African-Americans, they're not really educated, they're not kind people, you know, they're the ones who do all the robberies, and that's like the stigma in society. But mashallah, this brother was really humble and, and very knowledgeable and down to earth. So my dad was like, you know, where did you get your knowledge? Where did you acquire your knowledge from? He said, from Trinidad and Tobago. Mm-hmm. So we were, we were like, what's that? And he was like, oh, it's a country in the world's map, which looks like a little, little, little dot. And you should go there and, you know, try it out, check out the place. And if you like it, you should move there. So that's what my parents did. And when I was 14 years old, that's we moved there for two years. And that's what, alhamdulillah, it's called universally. It's called the Alim program or basically the program where you start becoming a scholar of Islam. Mm-hmm. So it's a six to seven year course. So I had started my first year in Buffalo and then I continued. So it, they basically have almost the same curriculum throughout the world. So if you move from one branch of the madrasa uh, of the Islamic school to another, you'll just like uh, continue from there. So you're not going to be you know brought back to the previous grade or previous level. So I did my first year in Buffalo and then I continued my second and third year in uh, Trinidad. And that's where, you know, obviously it's a really, really cultural, like a cultural shock, a cultural difference because the language you're speaking, the, the type of food they're eating, everything is like really different from America. And uh, but Alhamdulillah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allowed us to bear it and, you know, to bear with it. And it was really nice for me. It was a really good exposure and I got to learn a lot. It was a lot of experience that we gained. So the people there are mostly like Indian and African mixed. So, you know, they look like they're Indians, but then the way they speak or the way they deal with you is a little bit of, you know, a touch from Africa as well. Because they were actually brought as um, slaves to work in a plantation back when, you know, when the country was occupied and stuff. So... Subhanallah, their language is like it's really broken English. Like if you want to say, "I am gonna go to her house," they'll say like, "I go go she house." Oh. Like it's it's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, like grammatically and you know structure wise all that. But when it comes to their English exam, mashallah, when it comes to A levels, O levels, they always ace it. So I was always, you know, I would always wonder how that happens. How do they differentiate between the written English and the spoken English? But alhamdulillah. And I got to learn a lot from there. Um, And then I had incredible, beautiful teachers who taught me Arabic, you know, the depths of it, the grammar of Arabic. And alhamdulillah, it was a good experience. From there, we then moved to Medina Munawwara for two years. So now I'm 16 years old and, you know, we moved to Medina. And that was... An experience I have no words to explain, subhanAllah. Uh, from 16 to 18 years of age, it, for two years we stayed in Medina. We were seven on a seven minutes drive from Masjid al-Nabawi, from the Prophet Sallallahu holy mosque. And alhamdulillah, every day after Fajr, we would go for classes in the haram. 
We had, uh, you know, there's halaqat from the time of the Prophet ﷺ, the same way the Prophet ﷺ would sit next to a pillar, and the Sahaba would sit around him, and that's how they would do ta'lim and ta'lum, you know, they would learn and teach, subhanAllah, from one another. So that's how, up until today, if you walk in, you know, post-COVID, I think that's, that's like a, an exception, but usually, when you walk into the haram, you see the teacher sitting there, and then you see a halaqa around her, and everybody reciting Quran in different qira'at, and subhanAllah, it's just amazing. So there they have three different, just to touch, you know, a little bit about if someone wants, you know, is interested. They have three different levels. So they have for Sagirat, that's like really small girls or boys, you know. Sagirat uh, would be the girl side, but then they have a boy side as well. And that age group is like from four years old when you start pre-K up until like, you know, when you're you know, like around middle school age. So 10, 11, 12 year old girls in that halaqa. And subhanAllah, they're so cute. They're like sitting next down next to each other. And one says, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ اللَّهُ لَا لَا قَلْقَلَ قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدُ You know, like they, they, you know, test each other. And subhanAllah, fix one another's mistakes. And it's just a beautiful environment. And then they have mutawasitat. The mutawasitat is like, you know, that, that middle school, high school, teen group, basically, early 20s. So my sister and I, we went into that halaqa, and that's where, because I had privately done hivl in Buffalo, so I didn't have the certificate for my hivl, and I wanted to go into doing the qira'at, you know, the sab'a qira'at and stuff. So... I told them, you know, can I do the qiraat? They're like, where's your certificate for health first? So I was like, oh no, I don't have that because I did it privately. They're like, oh, you, it's going to take you two and a half years. You're going to, because we have a, you know, bi-annual exam. And every time you sit for that exam, it's only for five ajza. So subhanAllah, five, and then after another six months, ten, and then they, they accumulate. So five ajza, and then ten ajza, and fifteen, twenty, and it took around two and a half years for us. Uh, two, uh, we lived there for only two years, so since we were in a hurry to move, um, we let them know, and then you know they allowed us to do it within two years, alhamdulillah. So we said the whole Quran to them, recited it to them many times, up until you know they would take just for ta'awud and basmala, a'udhu billah and bismillah. They took two weeks, subhanAllah. That's how long they take just to, just to perfect the ta'awud and basmala and, the, and you know the tajweed for it. So subhanAllah, they're really, really strict with their tajweed rules, you know. And um, they would stop you. Uh, it, they don't mind stopping you 55 times in one ayah. They, they don't get tired. As long as, you know, you perfect it and then you move on. So alhamdulillah, that was, an, that was a great experience as well. I've never read Quran. You know, in Buffalo and in Trinidad, I was, we were always considered the Qariyas, you know, the, the ones who can read very well. When I went to Medina, all my confidence just broke down. I was like, well, I'm nowhere close to the level of these people, subhanAllah, in the Qiraat. And yeah, that was really good too. And then that's where I graduated from the Alim program. So that I did my last two years there. It was amazing doing the ahadith of the Prophet ﷺ in his holy city where you can relate to every single thing. SubhanAllah, we read about this well called Bi'r Buda'a. And then you like, they're like, oh, you know that Movin Pick Hotel? That's the reception area. That's where that well used to be. And then, you know, like you can easily, if you read about the, you know, a garden of Uthman anhu or the masjid of, you know, any sahabi, you can go there and actually take a look at it, you know. So subhanAllah, that experience was just amazing. And after Medina Munawara, when I was 18, it's now time for me. So Alhamdulillah, my parents, they, after marriage, you know, they thought that, you know, what, however many kids we have, inshallah. After their marriage. We want to make them a bridge after their marriage. They, that's what, you know, when they moved from Pakistan to America. 
they were like, you know, we want to make them a bridge between dunya and the akhirah. Between, you know, mm-hmm. we don't want to... Because what happens culturally or normally we see in the world, people either become a huffal and ulama and, you know, they, they memorize the Quran, they acquire, become scholars of deen and then they continue to get their degrees in Islamic knowledge and they don't go the, to the other track where, you know, going to college and getting a bachelor's degree and master's and PhD and then getting into your field. So they said, we want to give them a basics of Islam where they're strong enough, they have their foundation, they have the courage to go out and to speak for Islam whenever they need to and, you know, give da'wah towards Islam. But at the same time, we want them to go and to spread the deen in the dunya. In order for us to spread deen in this dunya, we need to have degrees, you know, to reach out to individuals that are educated in this dunya. So Alhamdulillah, that's where I, I was done my hiv, I've done my uh, alim course, uh, six years, my brother did seven years, you know, it's a, uh, you can do how much you want. And then we um, done high school alongside, I was doing it online. And now it's time for me to make a decision where to go for college. So Saudi wasn't really uh, an option for me. Because as an American or, you know, as a non-Saudi, it's not, it's not really convenient for you to study there, to be honest. So, uh, and then um, we were just doing istikhara again, you know, whenever you get stuck, just do istikhara. You know, it's the, it's the best way to figure out things, subhanAllah. And alhamdulillah, Allah opened doors towards IIUM, the International Islamic University of Malaysia. And that's where I met this beautiful sister Hiba and alhamdulillah, became friends. And here I am today. So I'm in my final semester for uh, doing my bachelor's in economics. And uh, I'm doing basically we get to choose specific specializations. So I'm doing specializing in Islamic economics and finance. So Alhamdulillah, it's been a great journey. That sounds so wholesome just to listen to it because what you said about your parents um, wanting to make you a bri- you guys a bridge between the dunya and akhirah that stuck with me. I remember the first time, I think it was you and Fatma together, your sister Fatma. You were telling me this and we were in the masjid and I made my mind then that one day when I become a mother, inshallah, that's how I want to, that's what I want to do to my children. Because like you said, inshallah. I've interacted with now, like at this point in my life, I've interacted with people who have just studied Islam only, like they've just taken that traditional route. And obviously there's so much barakah in their lives and they're amazing wives and Definitely. mothers and sisters and daughters and all of that. Mm-hmm. But you put them in the real world and they're they're clueless like they don't know what to do like i have Mm, seen i have seen girls my age and and just close to my age like i am 24 this year so i've seen like girls 21 22 when they know that a male is approaching like when they know that they have to talk to a male they they freeze they don't know what to do in that situation and Mm. i don't know me I, i just personally think in today's world you have to know how to interact with the opposite gender because they are you're going to meet them yeah. no matter where you go they're going to be there exactly so um yeah. and i've also met people like and we also know of people who are like they're just studying the usual secular they're taking the secular route but they are also starting to get more involved in islamic education and you can see how beautifully they combine the two like they know how to deal with the mm-hmm. world and they know how to remember allah when dealing with the world and that's that's a whole other that's level that's that's really beautiful um there were a couple of things I wanted to touch on. One was you mentioned how istikhara guided you through the whole decision. A lot of people... So here's the thing. You know how you said when you were in Buffalo, you guys were the qari'as and when you went to Medina, everything just shattered and you felt, you know, like a whole other yeah. person. So um, mm-hmm. I'm not... I haven't studied even one hundredth as much as you have. But I guess compared oh. to the average 
girl, Muslim girl in my community, average Muslim girl. There are so, so many amazing people who know way more than me. But, you know, there's like a handful of girls that I grew up with. And compared to them, I mm-hmm. guess I was a bit more inclined towards like learning a bit more about Islam, apart from the basics. So my like my friends and family, they always thought that I was the girl who had, you know, like who who could get answers for them. And then once I started mm-hmm. actually studying Islam, like the little bit that I did study once I came to university, mm-hmm. I realized how much I didn't know. It was like, whoa, you know, that's I think that's what they say about knowledge, right? Um, something yeah. about ignorance and knowledge. And there's a quote that goes along those lines. Yeah, the more you the more you study, the more you acquire knowledge, the more ignorant you realize you are, yeah. you know, more or less to the effect, you know. Exactly. So, so yeah. um so that it really makes you realize like the more you study Islam, the more you realize how insignificant you are. I mean, this is a sidetrack, not the point I want to make, but just earlier there was a scholar who was explaining how we're supposed to relieve ourselves in the washroom and he was talking about it was based mm-hmm. on Imam Ghazali's work Bidatul Hidayah and so mm-hmm. he was just talking about how you know your scholars encourage us to do this and that and and then he ended it by saying that the process that we have to go through to relieve ourselves and purify ourselves it's very humbling like mm-hmm. we have to do all of that to clean ourselves you know that's how mm-hmm. insignificant and how tiny we are in this world and that really oh, like it just yeah. kept playing on my mind because it is a disgusting yeah. thing we have to do the angels don't exactly have any of that mm-hmm. and it really makes us human so um what i'm trying mm-hmm. to say is that people often come to me and they ask me if i can help them out with a certain real islamic problem and alhamdulillah now i, I can mm-hmm. i'm better at like going to the right sources i'm getting better i guess inshallah mm-hmm. So I can ask someone of knowledge and I can get back to them. And one question that a lot of girls ask is about istikhara. Like, how do you do istikhara? How do you know if you're making the right decision? I just wanted to, I wanted you to talk a little bit about that. Okay, so based on uh, my knowledge about what the Prophet Wasallam, you know, how he taught us istikhara, the Sahaba, or less, they would say that the Prophet Wasallam emphasized so much on the istikhara and the dua of istikhara as if it was like, you know, teaching us salah itself, subhanAllah, you know, like a chapter from the Quran or salah, like so much emphasis, subhanAllah. So istikhara is basically, there's a dua, it goes, Allahumma inni astakhiruka bi'ilmika, oh Allah, you know, it's a beautiful, very inclusive, wholesome dua. And I would advise every single person, you know, a good Muslim should always do istikhara, and in order to do it, it would be best for us to have it memorized, right? So that we can, in our, you know, we can hold up our hands and we can ask Allah without having to like look at a reference or read it in a book or on, a, on our phones. So it's a beautiful dua, a bit long, a bit lengthy. And whenever you come to the point where it says, where it says, هذا الأمر, where Ya Allah, I ask you in this matter, and then you name the matter, right? So if, for example, if I would say uh, traveling to Medina, as, as um, Allahumma inni astakhiruka bi'ilmika wa astakhiruka biqudratika wa as'aluka min faddika al-azim, فَإِنَّكَ تَقْدِرُ وَلَا أَقْدِرُ وَتَعْلَمُ وَلَا أَعْلَمُ وَأَنْتَ عَلَّامُ الْغُيُوبِ اللَّهُمَّ إِنْ كُنْتَ تَعْلَمُ أَنَّ هَذَا الْأَمْرَ When أَنَّ هَذَا الْأَمْرَ comes, you would say أَنَّ السَّفَرْ إِلَى إِلَى الْمَدِينَةِ الْمُنَوَّرِ Right, so you would name the issue that you're trying to ask Allah Subhanahu wa Taala for. So, Alhamdulillah, every time we do we do that, and then so what if it's a not someone who doesn't speak Arabic? 
um, you can ask someone just for a translation of like just translate your issue into two words and ask you know or, or ask Sheikh Google you know or ask someone who is uh, okay with speaking Arabic you know who's, who knows how to speak Arabic so if you're saying marriage you know, marriage with this person. If you're saying, um, you know, hijrah, because nowadays moving from one country to another, one state to another, one college to another for the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is hijrah. You know, so subhanAllah, you ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, anna hijrata ila whatever place it is. So, you know, it's easy. It's, it's just like two words that you have to put together. And I'll ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So pray two raka'ah, nafal, and make niyyah, make intention for salatul istikhara. Right, and then once we're done, and then we read this dua, and it, there's no limit to a number of days. Some people say do it for three days. Some people say do it for seven days. Some people say do it before going to sleep. That's that's not in the hadith, right? So we just keep on doing this. For example, if you do it after dhuhr salah, if you're doing it after, and then you know what? A lot of the scholars say that think about your matter, think about you know, discuss it with you know, constantly be in the fikr and the worry. Of what you want to do. For example, if you want to move to Medina, we're constantly thinking, Ya Allah, open the door towards khair. Because in this dua, what you're asking Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is that if there is khair in this matter for me, allow it to be there for me and then, you know, help me through it. And if there's shar in it for me, if it's not khair, if it's not, if there's not goodness in this decision for me, then change the decision and make my heart inclined towards what you have decided for me. So, you know, we, you constantly think of the matter then throughout the days that you're making istikhara up until Allah opens a door towards whatever is easy for you. So you're not going to see this beautiful light come out and the door open and that's fantasy, you know, open door. But it's just that Allah is going to make matters easy towards that. For example, when we were moving from Texas, we were planning to move. We did a garage sale. We literally like in America, a lot of people, they love to, you know, have our adorned and decorated heavy clothes that we, you know, daisies wear. So we even sold our clothes. We sold like on a garage sale. We sold our pots and dishes and every cutlery and everything. Our car, our house. What happened then is, and we're planning to move out of country. We're planning to move to Pakistan because there's a lot of, you know, Islamic schools there. And there's a lot of opportunity for us to memorize the Quran or to acquire knowledge of the deen and stuff there. But then, subhanAllah, the person who we sold the car to, she came back to my dad and she was like, I found a car with a, on a better deal. So I would like to return. And she said, here's your keys. The guy who we sold the house to, he was like, oh, my business just collapsed. And I, I'm going bankrupt and I can't buy your house anymore. I can't afford it. So you see the doors closing, you know. And you can't leave a, a car and a house in a foreign country where you have no relatives to take care of it and just leave, you know. That would be hard for you. So we see that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, subhanAllah, he closed doors towards Pakistan. And just randomly, my dad was driving through Buffalo, New York, and he was like, you know, he typed it in the GPS. He's like a masjid, masjid near me because he had to pray Juma. And subhanAllah, he just pulled out of the highway. He came to this masjid Zakaria, and that's where he saw this well-established community. He called my mom. He's like, pack up and we're leaving this weekend. You know, subhanAllah. So Allah opened doors towards Buffalo and closed them towards Pakistan. So you see that the situations that come in front of you, or, you know, the way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts matters in front of you, He either makes a way easy for you or He makes it difficult. So, you know, this is not the right way, you know. So, that's it's just like where your heart is inclined towards when you're constantly doing istikhara 
inshallah there's khair in it. Then after that, and then there's that's taqdeer. Then we believe in you know the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. That's the that's the decree. So once we move to Buffalo, now we don't keep on saying, Oh, you know, it would be better if I have if I had moved to Pakistan, it would be better if I had moved to another place. Because it was the qadr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. I am okay with it, and inshallah there was khair in it for me. So whatever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is doing for me now, there is the goodness is in it. Because I asked Allah for khair. And you know, the same thing goes with the you know marital relationships as well. You know, once you do istikhara to marry a person. And you know, sometimes there's like people, they have like ups and downs in their marriage, obviously. Because it's not something that's a perfect thing, you know. It's never like, you know, the hero and heroine met. And then, you know, the fantasy world started. And just, a, <laughs> you know, happy ever after. Uh, marriage is always, you know, ups and downs. So people say, oh, we made istikhara, but why are they like, why are we going through a down phase in our marriage now? There was khair in it for you. Now you have to live through it. You have to have sabr because Allah is teaching you sabr now, you know. So there's always khair in the decision Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allows us or guides us towards um, after istikhar. So we just have to be content with that decision and just ask Allah to continue putting khair in it. Inshallah. So basically just pray to raka, salatul istikhara, read the dua, wherever you see had al-amra, name the matter. And then continue doing istikhara until we're inclined towards something. Uh, either o- the doors open towards it or they close and they open towards somewhere else because that's what we're asking Allah. Open doors towards this or change the direction of my uh, of my matter and open doors towards whatever is good for me and then make my heart inclined towards it. And then once that happens, then we're, you know, we're happy with the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Inshallah. The thing about the about asking Allah to give you what has khair in it is that sometimes the khair could be just character development also, right? It could just be that you come closer to Allah. Mm -hmm. So that's where a lot of people, that's where the other set of questions coming. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people think, I've made istikhara, why didn't this work out? But the whole point was that you made istikhara and Allah wanted you to go through this Mm -hmm. so that you learn something from it and you come closer to Exactly. Or you have patience and Allah can love you through that patience. Definitely. That's also... Mm-hmm. important to consider yeah. so istikhara is such a wonderful thing like you want to make a big decision in your life and I often wonder how do other people do it like you're making this humongous decision about who to spend the rest of your life mm-hmm. with or which career to start like which career to go for mm-hmm. and or which job to take or accept and which one to reject and you're making these big decisions mm-hmm. and like you're just asking Allah to guide you through it. Like you're asking Allah to take care of your affairs. Exactly. What could be more relieving than mm-hmm. that? I guess though that what we should learn to do is to actualize what's going on here. Mm-hmm. Like you're not just reciting a dua, you know, because it's what you're supposed to do. You're not just praying to rakahs, reciting the dua and just going, getting along with life. Mm-hmm. You're actually telling Allah that, okay, this is a big decision. Allah, I want you to take over mm-hmm. this affair. For take me. it into your hands. And then, mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. So the best thing um, to do is, is to understand the meaning of the dua. You know, it's such a beautiful dua, so inclusive. And a lot of times we just like, we just like read it through and we don't even know what it means. So it's best to understand the meaning of it and then read it from the heart. That's when, inshallah, the real effect will be shown, inshallah. Yes. I just remembered something again that I came across earlier today where this scholar was, it was actually Sheikh Yahya Rodas. And I'm not sure if. If, if he, his style it suits everyone else's style but I love the way he talks and just so much wisdom coming out of his mouth Michelle. you know 
um mashallah so he was saying how when we get he was talking about the hadith where allah says that he talks about his awliya the people who come close to him through obligatory acts of worship and then they do the voluntary ones and mm-hmm. how allah becomes the hands through which they um the eyes through which they see and you know the ears through which they hear and all of that and that's one of the most beautiful um hadith in islam right alhamdulillah so he was talking about how when you come close to allah when you start worshiping allah like when you just do it out of love for allah mm-hmm. and like in the any way the end goal is also love so you can never love allah enough like there's always more Definitely. love you can acquire and also you want to reach that station where allah loves you mm-hmm. right so he was saying that after a point in your life when you continuously like put effort to please allah and you use your limbs for the sake of allah and you make these sacrifices for the sake of allah mm-hmm. after a point Allah just takes over your affairs. Subhanallah. And so he was saying how that's why like when you've been in the company of the awliya of Allah, you can see that there is a difference. Like mm-hmm. when they make a simple decision, there's just so much barakah in that decision that they made. They might even choose to just go and get some food mm-hmm. and that food would be enough to feed like an entire community. Mm-hmm. You know, like yeah. he was just talking about how um like our go our objective should be just that we worship Allah to the best of our abilities just keep doing it and then after a point Allah will just take care of your affairs just like mm-hmm. that and he was also saying how these awliya of Allah when they make dua mm-hmm. Allah always responds to them and he was saying imagine if we consciously made an effort to be in the company of such people mm-hmm. they would make dua for us and all our affairs something. would be taken care subhanallah. of subhanallah yeah. subhanallah it's amazing yeah you've had that in your life right mashallah you've been in the company of so many teachers and what has it been like being a student of yeah Islam, it's amazing subhanallah it's like you like you said the duas that they make if it feels like it's an umbrella over you and you're always protected under that umbrella and every time i would move away from such people you know from such scholars from such females who are so close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala who always have this connection with Allah i feel like that umbrella has been removed and now the rain can fall on me you know subhanallah it's just like you know you feel engulfed in that baraka you feel very um you know you're you're satisfied you know that my even though i need to make duas but you know they're there to make duas for you and then subhanallah the other thing is you know you always have someone to take advice from that's one big thing cuz people who are knowledgeable subhanallah when you know you have for every step in life you can take advice from them and alhamdulillah every time the advice they give you when you act upon it, it, it everything comes out very well you know because like you said they have hin hin is such knowledge that is not in it's not found in the books of knowledge it's that knowledge that once you reach that level of acquiring knowledge and of getting close to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala hilm is something that is inspired from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala directly to the heart of that person so you see that hilm in such enlightened people subhanallah and you you try to look into any book to find that knowledge you won't find it and is and they're telling you things that subhanallah it's amazing and you know like uh, and like really really wise decisions really wise um advices for things for little things you know And subhanallah yeah it's it's amazing to be in the company of such people the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam also you know he would tell the sahaba they want to make dua allahumma arzuqni jalisan saliha you know oh allah grant me a righteous company so that's really really important we should make dua for that as well because you know we will be resurrected with the people who we love on the day of judgment 
inshallah once you know the hadith of the musk and the, the person who walks through you know if, if you walk through a perfume store even if you didn't buy anything you didn't apply any of the perfume you're still gonna smell like it because of the company of the itar bottles or the perfume bottles around you so inshallah allow us to have such company in the dunya and akhra inshallah Zainab, what do you think about, like, so you know that not everyone has this um, amazing thing in life, you know, great, having good company. Like I started this uh, whole session that not everyone gets to be in the company of people who will love you for the sake of Allah. Mm-hmm. What do you think about realizing that, okay, this is deficient in my community or in the circle of people that I interact mm-hmm. with and trying to make it your responsibility yeah. to start something like that, to become that figure. Definitely, that that's an amazing initiative. So for example, like you and I, we're, we're in our 20s, and a lot of girls in their 20s, they're lost. They don't know where to go. They don't know, you know who to interact with. They know that the company that they're currently in is taking them towards the wrong path. You know They're going to end up somewhere that's not really good for them. But then they don't have that open space to discuss things. They don't have that person, that shoulder you know, to go back to or to you know just to be that person to be there for them so if we become that person that's amazing subhanallah you know we can have weekly bi-weekly monthly gatherings at our house or our, our friend's house that you know that can accommodate such girls and we can start by just you know subhanallah a small thing like praising Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so we're gonna meet up we're gonna have a nice potluck or we're gonna have a party just enjoy and then at the end before leaving before dispersing we're gonna talk about the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so you know a lot of times what the knowledge the secular knowledge that we're acquiring nowadays whether it's like psychology or whatever it is there there's so much like atheist taught the atheism in it that people like Absolutely. they they move away from believing in Allah slowly because of the knowledge that they're getting even though knowledge should take us closer to Allah subhanahu wa because you dive into the beautiful the beauty in the psychology of human beings but then they say oh it's so complicated that there's no one who did it it just happened on their own you know and subhanAllah so a lot of times uh, young girls like you know girls our age they they tend to lose the connection with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala at this age so it would be an amazing idea for me in America you in Sri Lanka you know to start back this you know to to revive um, a, a community or a group of young Muslim role models for the future generation inshallah who can inspire them to always connect to Allah to always you know to bring Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in the conversations so we we currently started this you know da'wah and training um, class is just a weekly thing where you know we have them talk about the greatness of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala so you know everything like if you see the clouds outside you know it's not just another gloomy day it's actually clouds brought to us by the angels through the order of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and then each with every single droplet that falls down the rahmah the barakah is coming down and subhanallah the, the prophet told us to ask make the dua you know allahumma sayyiban nafi'a may Allah make this rain beneficial so to you know actualize everything that's going on the sun came out it's not just the sun coming out then the sun's gone the moon's coming out the day's gone the night comes in it's actually the process of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through which we can recognize him so just have like cl- uh, just not even classes like you know party sessions with girls our age and then just talk about the greatness of Allah and that itself inshallah is going to bring us closer to the realization of the purpose of our our being in this world and then death is a reality we can talk we touch on all these topics you know because even an atheist you tell them that you talk about death he or she can't deny it you know so anybody who believes in Allah or doesn't, no, no human can say that the life in this world is eternal. 
Everybody knows we have to die. Everyone knows that, you know, even if they believe in Allah or not, they know that, you know, we are here for a purpose. So we can start talking about these topics. Once we touch on them, inshallah, we can go deeper and then, you know, start building our iman and all that, inshallah. So that would be a really amazing idea. That would be. The thing is, like, um, I've tried to make tiny efforts to start something like this. And I, I do want to give a disclaimer that I'm not in a position to, you know, like, become... I'm, I'm not... I haven't studied classical Islamic education properly under a scholar. None of that has happened yet. But um, well, I guess, inshallah, it's safe to say that I do love Allah and I do love Islam. So it's beautiful to be able to... Like, it's a privilege, it's an honor to be able to speak about the religion of Allah. Definitely. And um, when I've tried to bring people together, I start, obviously you always start with the people you mm-hmm. know. You try to bring them together to remember Allah, to talk about hadith and you know to talk about the prophets. Mm-hmm. Because so one thing I love is talking about the sunnah. I feel like the sunnah is the biggest way to you know to fall in love with Islam. Definitely. Because well, we know the prophet so was the walking Quran mm-hmm. basically. So... Unfortunately, I feel like every time I start in that direction, mm-hmm. it's like a door gets slammed in my face. You know, like people start, like they get too busy with other things and they're not in a situ- a position where they can prioritize these sessions. Mm-hmm. And it really puts you off, doesn't it? Yeah, that's it really true. Discourages but you. then, you know, don't allow that to discourage you. For example, if you started with a group of 10 girls and you end up with just you and one more girl, don't allow that to discontinue. You know, just continue with that one girl and inshallah more will start joining again. You know, so don't ever let the number deceive you because it's not the it's not the quantity that we're doing for it. It's the quality that we're doing for it, right? Mm-hmm. So inshallah, don't let the number of the girls and then, you know, make it exciting. Not just like, oh, it's a majlis of hadith and then, or it's a majlis of the Quran or dhikr. You know, have like a party, have a potluck. Sometimes do it on your own. Sometimes ask them to bring a dish. Sometimes do it at a park, have like a picnic. And then, you know, in the open air, discuss the beauty of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, and the beauty of his creation. So try to like um, have it in different ways to make it engaging because this dunya it's so attra- it's so attractive and subhanallah it's so you know it pulls you that the pull of this dunya tends to become stronger than the pull of the akhirah because it's unseen right so we need to make the akhirah beautiful like the dunya as well so that we can people can be pulled towards inshallah <coughs> that's true and you can tell the difference like when you listen to certain scholars you can tell that they're trying to make it more relatable they're trying to make you feel like you can be a part of this religion too Mm -hmm. unfortunately there are some scholars who without their knowledge they make it feel like you don't deserve to be a part of this religion and just like a really strict religion and it's this and that and you know you have to be very very um, you know careful once you act upon it and people are like okay I'm just not even going to start you know so it's very true we should be very welcoming and we should you know wholeheartedly accept everyone into it you know like the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam did and it goes back to how our how islam is centered like the center of islam is love everything you do mm-hmm. is out of it's a, it's an, it's a gesture of love like we love the Prophet so we follow whatever he did. Mm-hmm. We love Allah, so we worship Allah. And we worship Allah, so we love Allah. It goes both ways. Definitely. And you invite people towards good because you love them and you love them for the sake of Allah. Mm-hmm. And it's all... the There was a video that I came across recently. And if anyone's listening, then I had shared it on the Young Muslimah podcast um, story as well. 
it was just talking about how love and islam are so interconnected and i was just thinking for a few days you know about all the uh, hadith that talk about love like you don't la yu'min ahadukum hatta yuhibbu li'akhihi ma yuhibbu li'nafsihi and i was thinking love it's all love it goes back to like how allah loves these gestures mm-hmm. allah loves the people who purify themselves mm-hmm. allah loves the people who are patient and even like the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he did hadith where umar radiallahu anhu stood up and said he i mean he acknowledged in the end of the hadith that he loves allah, the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam more than himself so i guess it starts with that um you know you have to soften your heart mm-hmm. and then you have to do what you're doing with a lot of love definitely when you're doing and you have to start with loving allah first definitely. that's how it starts mm-hmm. but what i wanted to talk about was the softening of the heart mm-hmm. in my personal experience i feel like one thing that really soften like one thing that really it's very easy to say you're not supposed to judge other people you know because when we see especially among muslims when we see another muslim commit sins like they're not bad people but they're committing sins and they're okay with it mm-hmm. and you know it's not a good thing so it's never a good thing to publicly commit a sin and to acknowledge and to be proud of it but some people unfortunately do that mm-hmm. because they don't know any better i guess but so when we see people commit these sins it's very easy to remember the worst of what they did Definitely. and it's very easy to um you know sometimes you just want to protect yourself mm-hmm. and so you try to avoid their company and you know these are sometimes subconscious decisions that we make mm-hmm. as well but when you learn more about islam and like i'm just I, i've just learned very very the very basic level and if i am saying this then imagine the scholars who and people who have studied way more mm-hmm. so the more you learn about islam the more you realize how everyone has a chance at jannah mm-hmm. like nobody is far from it especially the hadith the very famous hadith of i think it was abdullah bin mas'ud radiyallahu anhu how um, we can live our entire lives worshiping allah and towards the end of our life we can slip up and we can end up in yeah, jahannam do one action or the opposite is true yeah. exactly so what do you think like what changed your like I think you're also from a family that is engaged like engages a lot in da'wah so maybe that contributed to your open-mindedness as well but what helps you remain open-minded when you in- and you do interact with people from different backgrounds yeah so alhamdulillah you know going back to everything we do is you know we look into the uh, into the life of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam and that's what we should try to exemplify right because the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam he was our, he is our role model he's our hero You know, nowadays, if kids say, oh, you know, this person or this celebrity or this, uh, you know, actor or actress is my role model. They know when the hair color of that person changed. They know how many kids they have. They know the marital status. They know the age. They know, you know, how many teeth they've been losing. You know, they, they know every single detail <laughs> of that role model of theirs. So the same way, when we say that our role model is the Prophet ﷺ, we should know the details, the ins and outs of how he did everything as well. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala again and again says in the Quran, Ya ayuhu al-lazina amanu, ati'u Allah wa ati'u Rasul. O you who believe, obey Allah and obey His Messenger. And again and again, multiple times in the hadith, in the Quran, we see that Allah is constantly saying, obey me and obey my Messenger. So, Allah alayhi wa sallam. So, you know, when we say that He's our role model, we should know the way He treated people. Like, if we look at Umar radiallahu anhu, Subhanallah, he drank so much wine before he was a Muslim. He killed so many Muslims. He had plotted plans to kill the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, na'udhu billah, as well. And such a person, Subhanallah, 
And what dua does the Prophet ﷺ make for him? Ya Allah, grant either Umar or Abu Jahal hidayah. Subhanallah, to strengthen Islam. So look at how the Prophet ﷺ will look into the good qualities of everyone and then make dua for them instead of making dua against them. Yes. Right? Look at the people of Ta'if. They stoned the Prophet ﷺ up until he bled so much that his feet and shoes got stuck to one another, subhanAllah. And still the angels of the mountains came and they said, you know, should we close the mountains and let them, let these people perish, you know, just let them, these people get destroyed between these two, uh, these two mountains in this valley. And look at how he didn't think of the present or he didn't think of the past sins that they're doing, but he, he thought, look, the good that might come out of them. And he said, let them go. So inshallah, the future generations that will come, they might, someone might believe in Allah. And nowadays, my, my mom has fr- really good friends who are really good da'iyas, who are, their origin is from Ta'if, subhanAllah. So if the Prophet was to finish the people at that time, you know, then these people wouldn't, these beautiful people wouldn't come out of there, you know. So the same way, like uh, I've interacted with people, you know, Trinidadians, then people from Medina, then people from Malaysia, then in, in America, there's like, there's people from all over the world that come and settle here. And then IUM itself is an international university where we see, mashallah, over 120 different countries, people from different countries, subhanAllah. So, you know, you always like be welcoming for people, you know, allow them to come to us and, you know, have, find a space or find a place where they can let their thoughts out. They can ask us for advice. They can share their, you know, their, their situations with us. And, you know, through our little experience that we have or going through the sunnah of the Prophet or the hadith, we can, you know, give them good references, you know. So just be like, you know, just have a good heart. And just don't judge people. Like you were saying, when it comes to judge, being judgmental, then you always think about the bad side of a person. But then, like, I myself have to, like, go out of the way to look at the good in someone in order to welcome them. You know, if a girl walks in with skinny jeans and her hijab is, like, all her streak-colored hair is coming out in the, in the front. But just see, look, she's a hijabia, mashallah. So many people don't even have that cloth on their head. Well, she's trying to put the hijab on. So inshallah, I can be kind to her and try to motivate her to put the hair inside the hijab, you know? So we should like, you know, go out of our way to step on our nafs and just look at the positive in someone. That itself, you know, the prophet, you know, um, it, it, the scholars, they say that Allah gave us two eyes. One to look at the bad in ourselves and correct it. And the other to look at the good in others. So we don't even have an eye to look at the bad in others, right? So inshallah, we should always try to, you know, whenever we see something faulty in others, don't look down upon them because I can end up in that situation too if I do look down upon them, right? So always look at the good in others and look at the deficiencies or the shortcomings I have because I'm not perfect as well, right? So inshallah, try to like go out of our way to look at the positive in others and um like you said, subhanAllah, every single person has a chance for Jannah. So no matter, you know, no matter how sinful they are today, they can repent to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and get higher levels than me in Jannah, uh, you know, in the hereafter. So I never know that. And then because of me thinking down, bad about them, I might end up, you know, losing my place. So, you know, it's, it's always best to like look at the positive in others, inshallah. Absolutely. And... Um there is a, there's a hadith I believe um, where the Prophet so says that we don't if you criticize if you say that someone did something mm-hmm. and if it's not true 
you won't die until you've committed that yes. sin yourself. That's so scary. And that's really scary. Yes, definitely. I know. Subhanallah. Because especially in like today's Asian days, like if we talk about anything and everything, mm-hmm. we're a bunch of entitled people who think that we can say anything we want and we get a little bit of knowledge and we think we know all that we need to know. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, I feel like people say, the more people try to claim that we're not supposed to be judgmental, don't be, don't have, don't fall for stereotypes and all of that stuff, Mm -hmm. the louder that claim gets, Mm -hmm. the more judgmental we get, Mm -hmm. the quicker we are to label people and to say that this one's good and this one's bad. Mm -hmm. And I guess after a certain point in life, you come to realize that it's not good and bad anymore. It's just a bunch of human beings who are trying, Mm -hmm. they're trying and they slip and they fall Mm -hmm. in the end. Only death can decide. Like yeah. Allah knows yeah. what happens in the end. Definitely. There are, there are three stories from the life of the Prophet mm-hmm. that always comes to my mind when I'm trying to give people... Uh, I'm talking about people who have hurt or affected me in any way. Mm-hmm. But I'm also like trying to... I'm, I also try to apply it when I interact with people who are on different levels of the religion. Mm-hmm. Like I know people who... I know pe- Muslims who party mm-hmm. and they also pray at the same time and fast. And I know Muslims who um, drink and I guess they become Ramadan Muslims. Mm-hmm. You know, the mm-hmm. type of Muslims who uh, come, who remember they are Muslim during Ramadan. Mm-hmm. And there are people who just don't pray, mm-hmm. but they'll never, they're never shy to admit that they're Muslim. So they don't pray because they're lazy, but they're there is love for Allah in their mm-hmm. hearts. It's there. And like, especially when something bad happens, the first they are the first to say that, you know, Allah will handle my affairs. Sometimes it's annoying. Like, you're not doing your part and you want Allah to fulfill yeah. His part. But at least but they have the wakul. They love Allah. You know, they have that level exactly. of the Yeah. Exactly. And so there are these three stories that always come to my mind in such situations. Also, when people are, ju- when people are quick to judge me, mm-hmm. I try to find solace i guess or comfort in these so- stories one is the story of how they've been um, i think it's abi balta but the story of the companion i mean what he did was huge if his what he did was basically just for some con i'm, I'm sure you know but i'm just saying this for the listeners uh, when they were going to conquer when they were going on their way to uh, conquer mecca mm-hmm. which was the one of the biggest Conquest. things that was going to happen to the muslims at the time and it was a huge decision for mm-hmm. them he got scared for his family that was in Mecca. Although he was a Muslim, he loved Allah, he loved mm-hmm. the Prophet But that fear, that human fear crippled him and yeah. he gave in to it. And he nearly passed the message to the Meccans. Yeah. He actually did. He, did yeah. he passed the message to the Meccans mm-hmm. that, you know, the Muslims are coming because he was afraid that if the Meccans find out, they might hurt his family. Mm-hmm. And then Allah revealed it and the Prophet oh, sent Ali anhu, and they found the note and the Muslims were safe. Mm-hmm. But... When he was brought to the Prophet anyone would think in that situation, no matter what your intention is, you're clearly a threat to the world now. Mm -hmm. And it's treason Mm -hmm. from every angle. Any country in the world, any government would end your life then and there. Mm -hmm. At least put you in prison for the rest of your life. One of the two options. Mm -hmm. No two questions there. Because what he did was that big. Mm -hmm. And Umar was ready to cut off his head because he was furious. Because he loved... Allah and Islam mm-hmm. and he couldn't tolerate such a such an injustice mm-hmm. and the Prophet ﷺ said no he asked him what happened why he did that and he allowed him to explain himself mm-hmm. and he said he fought in Badr and if he fought in like 
Allah has forgiven whatever they if they've done. Like whatever He did is already forgiven. Yeah. All the people who fought in Badr. And I always think about that. And sometimes you wish people would be like that. Mm-hmm. Like you, you will make big mistakes in life, mm-hmm. and you wish people would remember that you're not a bad person. Mm-hmm. You know, though you make these mistakes, your heart is not evil. Mm-hmm. So, just like how. You would give a chance to. You would want to give a chance to other people. You wish people would give you a chance, and at the same time, it's important to remember that just like how you want a second chance in life, you should give other people mm-hmm. a second and Definitely. third and fourth and whatever number of chances mm-hmm. you want. And the other story that I think of is the story of the woman from the tribe of Ghamidiya, mm-hmm. like the the woman who had committed zina, and she was, she she committed zina, yeah. and in our time, zina is like. I mean, among the Muslims, mm-hmm. it's scare. It's um, disturbingly co- getting more and more common. Mm-hmm. I'm aware of that, but it's still a big deal. Yeah. You know, when the word zina comes up, exactly. it's like, whoa, that's bad. Exactly. And she committed it, and she felt so bad about the mistake she made because in that moment, shaitan got the better of her, I guess, or the worst of her, worst of her. And she went to the Prophet mm-hmm. and he tried to give her a chance, but she couldn't live with herself. Mm-hmm. And then finally, she was punished. And the Prophet mm-hmm. when one of the companions, when he was throwing the stones at her, because that's the punishment in an Islamic system where there is a Khalifa, so mm-hmm. we can't implement that wherever we are. Um, so when the when the Sahaba threw the stones at her and he cursed, I think it was I think it was Khalid bin Walid who cursed, and the Prophet said her uh, tawbah is greater than the entire the tawbah of all the people of Medina. And that is the Islam that we are part of. Like when we call ourselves Muslim, mm. it all of this comes into that that title, mm-hmm. that label that we give ourselves that we're Muslim, which means you can commit. The worst of sins, and we will forgive you. Subhanallah. Because Allah is the judge. Definitely. It's Subhanallah. That's amazing. Subhanallah. I know. Yeah. And when you interact with people from different backgrounds, it's very important to remember that. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we forget. I mean, I'm guilty of that, obviously. But when I remember, I mean, I've noticed how when you let the ego take over when you let your bad side take over mm-hmm. you feel the disturbance yeah. you know you know that something is not right with you you're life. not at ease with well, how do you yeah exactly how do you deal with that like when you know that there is a dark cloud following you so uh, you know go back to the action that you committed and because of which you start feeling that way and then ask Allah find that for repentance for you know so if, for example if we hurt someone uh, because they they didn't fulfill our haq, our right or something like that, and then we hurt them in a way we should not have done so. Because the Prophet ﷺ, he would always forgive people whenever something was done against him. Whenever it was for to protect Islam or to protect the Muslimin, the Prophet ﷺ always took revenge and he always did what he had to. You know, whether it was you know cutting people's bodies into pieces and getting rid of them or whatever it is, if it was for the Deen, he did it. But if it was for his personal self, like we see in Ta'if, like we see with his relatives, you know, like we see with the Sahaba who, who planned to, um, you know, persecute the Prophet before accepting Islam, he forgave all of them. So, you know, if whenever we try to take revenge, instead of, you know, satisfying ourselves, it actually brings a dark cloud in our life. And it actually, you know, we feel like we feel a bit low about it. Because it's something that's not tabi'i, it's not natural to hurt others and feel good about it. 
you know so ask Allah and ask that person for forgiveness if we're not strong enough to go to that person after you know hurting them then make a istighfar for that person you know like the same way if we do if we do riba of a person and we're not strong enough to go and tell them you know i backbited about you and i said such and such about you ask Allah to forgive that person you know ask make istighfar make tawbah for that person so you know ask Allah um, to forgive us for that mistake that we committed because like you said again you know it all comes down to love it all comes down to muhabba brotherhood sisterhood in islam and you know in the hadith la yu'minu ahadukum hatta tu'minu you know, none of us can enter Jannah until we believe. And we cannot believe, we cannot become, subhanAllah, kamil muslimin. We cannot believe, we cannot reach the complete level of iman until we love one another. SubhanAllah, look at where iman is and at that level, love. You know, love is that thing that can, you know, allow you to reach a complete level of iman for you to enter Jannah. The Prophet said, you know, Should I not tell you of something that if you do it, you will you will love one another? So like to small, tiny things. Like a lot, a lot of times we don't think a little salam, you know, hi, a gesture of hello, assalamu alaikum, can bring so much love in one another that can allow us to reach the takminatul iman, you know, completeness in, in, of iman in order for us to reach Jannah. So subhanAllah, these little things that the Prophet would do and that's how he would, um, you know, gain the confidence of the disbelievers and that they would just look at his character and accept Islam without even having to give them da'wah of one Allah and all that. Like we know about that, you know, the prisoner of war who was tied outside Masjid al-Nabawi for three days and the Prophet you know, he told the Sahaba, give, the, give him to wear what you wear, give him to eat what you eat. And with such nice conduct and subhanAllah, the character of the Sahaba, the Prophet the first thing he did after he got untied from that pillar was went to a well and, you know, went to where he found water. He took a ghusl, he came back and accepted Islam, subhanAllah. Imagine, you know, we have prisoners of wars nowadays. We just like, you know, beat them up, you know, put them down for what they did. You know, why did you fight against us? You know, make him speak things about the uh, opposite party, you know, stuff like that. So imagine how the Prophet ﷺ treated prisoners of war and let alone his own sahaba and his own family and his own friends that, you know, if they said something back to him, he would let them go, you know. So inshallah, we should... Uh, we will only get this in ourselves once we read the, st the stories of the Sahaba, once we, you know, study the in-depth, the, the depths of the life of the Prophet ﷺ, inshallah. And there are a lot of books for that, inshallah. We should try to refer to those books and make it, you know, like we read the Qur'an, try to read the Qur'an daily. The same way we have to, we have to you know, we have to believe in Allah and His Messenger. So we also have to go to the Prophet's life and see how he lived his life in order for us to be able to implement those things into our lives, to exemplify him as our role model, inshallah. Absolutely. Do you have any specific book or um, um, a scholar maybe who has helped you uh, come closer to the Prophet? For uh, there's Ar-Ruhiqi Makhtoum, The Sealed Nectar. That's the uh, one of the books yeah. that I read for the history of the Prophet, like for the seal of the Prophet And then for so the Sahaba, عنهم, it's a beautiful compilation. It's called Hayatul Sahaba. And there's a lot mm -hmm. of others as well. So whenever I read Hayatul Sahaba, subhanAllah, the way they describe, they use easy words and it's in many different languages. So if you want to find it in Urdu, in English, in whatever language, subhanAllah, they have translations. 
So it's a really beautiful book and it talks about yeah, each and every Sahabiya and Sahabi as well. So you get to learn about them from there. Exactly. Yeah. And the wonderful thing is that we have companions from such different diverse backgrounds mm-hmm. and characters. And, like their personalities are so different. Exactly. Like you might be an Abu Bakr mm-hmm. or you might be an Umar. Exactly. Or you might be an Ali. Yeah. And, or you might be an Uthman. Mm-hmm. And the Uthmans are my favorite. Like they're so quiet and like they're so shy and humble mm-hmm. and they don't know... They don't know the potential that they have, mm-hmm. but they're so loved, so and everything that they do is full of love and so genuine. Mm-hmm. Like there is a Sahaba among the females also. Mm-hmm. Like you can be an Aisha, mm-hmm. or you could be a more quiet Khadija, or the, the more wi- the wiser, mm-hmm. more composed one. Mm-hmm. Whatever it is, you have a Sahaba that you can relate to, and a Sahaba that you can learn a lot from. Yeah, definitely. And like you said, it goes back to learning about mm-hmm. them. Because you can't love someone until you know who they are, mm-hmm. really. Exactly. Yeah, you know, and then when we say we love them, we know who they are, you know, we should, once we have kids, inshallah, we can name them the kids of those sahabiyat who we love, you know. We can, instead of naming them whatever, we just come up with random names nowadays. Inshallah, we can name them like the sahaba, عنهم, so that they can get those qualities in them. And then once we, Absolutely. you know, in, to tell them bedtime stories and tell, instead of like reading out poems to them or twinkle, twinkle, little star or stuff like that, you know, we can tell them the stories of the Sahaba عنهم, before they would sleep, you know, that's what my father used to do with me. Yeah. So subhanAllah, he would put us to sleep and he was telling us the story of the Sahaba, Sahaba, Sahabiyat, and then he's like, and then you know what happened? And it would be so exciting to say, what? It's like, I'm going to complete tomorrow. You know, so we would have that, <laughs> you know, that's that so excitement to know what went on after that. So subhanAllah, it's a good way That's to, so yeah, you know, from childhood, from the, the children when they're growing up, they should know. Like we know this famous story of nowadays when a boy, he was asked in his class, the teacher told all of the students, write down on a piece of paper what you would want to be when you grow up. So someone said a doctor, someone said an engineer, one boy said a sahabi. So he, she was like, I, I know what a doctor, engineer, all this is, What's, who's a sahabi? So then he started giving her da'wah, a little boy, seven, eight years old, subhanAllah, first, second grade uh, boy. And it, it so happened that subhanAllah, he could only explain to you know the level he knew. And he said, this is my mother's contact, you can contact her for further explanation. And so she called her over for tea, the mother of the little boy, and subhanAllah, because of that seven-year-old child, she accepted Islam, the, the teacher. So, you know, there's once our children are brought up with that mentality of having the Sahaba as our role models, then inshallah, they will become means of giving hidayah and spreading Islam within, you know, their circles. So, inshallah, they're going to become small da'is, you know, since their childhood. <laughs> That's true. Inshallah. That sounds amazing to be able to, to make the bedtime stories, stories of like true stories. Mm-hmm. These are stories. These are things that really happen. Exactly. Yeah. And there are some amazing things that happened. Like you could talk. About, I think in the battle of Badr or Uhud, I'm not sure. Zainab, like one of the companions, he didn't have a weapon, and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi I think so fashioned one out of a, a a tree. If I'm not mistaken, the branch of a tree. I think he shook it and he gave him mm-hmm. uh, uh, that. And what happened in the cave of uh, when the Prophet and Abu Bakr were seeking protection in the cave. when they were trying to migrate. Yeah. Such amazing things exactly. happened. There are so many amazing stories yeah. we could tell the children. And, and you know, we always think that children will be interested. You don't want to scare them. You don't want to give them too much and all of these things. But the other day I took a chance and it was Ramadan and my cousins were here. My cousin brothers and my brother, they're all the same age. So they're like 16, 17, 18. And I was like, you know what? These guys are 
very lazy, very uninterested generally in life. <laughs> and I'm going to take a chance. And I'm, I mean, they're amazing. Mashallah, they're like, they're really good. They're really good hearts and they care a lot about people and stuff. But, I, you know, typical teenage mm-hmm. boys, that whole thing. So I was like, okay, I'm going to start reading the story the battle of, about the Battle of Uhud. Because I think it was the 15th or 16th of Ramadan. Mm-hmm. And I wanted them to like really feel the 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 uh, magnitude of the day that the night that was coming mm-hmm. and i knew that i i was so sure they won't be interested i just started you know i was mm-hmm. like let me just start and it was just like one hour before tarawih mm-hmm. i th- they had to go for tarawih and i was like okay they're probably not going to even get past half an hour knowing their attention span <laughs> but they were so interested they came back it was like 10 11 o'clock in the night and they wanted me to continue so, um, i had so much work to do mm-hmm. but they wanted me to continue mm-hmm. and i was so happy to do that Masha like Allah. they were interested mm-hmm. maybe because it's war so i also realized that okay when you're talking to guys mm-hmm. maybe use a bit more about you know that whole spirit mm-hmm. and make them feel tough and strong as muslims mm-hmm. rather than just like weak and but it really opened my eyes you yeah. know it was like I guess Allah decides when what you say and what you do will benefit someone. Yes, it's not in your hands. It'll affect the heart. Yeah, definitely. Subhanallah. And for yeah. kids, you know, we have young sahabis to talk about, you know, the, when they're trying to go for Uhud and the Prophet rejected a few young sahabis because they were too too small, too tiny to go to fight, you know, how are they going to fight? And they know, they, they're like, you know, oh Prophet of Allah, we're going to wrestle one another and whoever wins gets to go. So subhanAllah, they wrestled and then one of them got the opportunity to go. Uh, the other one was like, you know, let's wrestle again and you, you know, just try to act weak so I can win, so I can get to go as well. You know, so subhanAllah, and then this other one was tippy-toeing so he can look a bit taller. So, you know, these you, the spirit in the Sahaba, anhum, subhanAllah. Then we're talking to females and we have the female Sahabiyat that have their own stories and how they sacrificed for the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So subhanAllah, there's all aspects that, that are covered, you know, in the history. Yeah. When you when you spoke about naming your children after these companions, uh, you'd be thrilled to know that Nasima has named Nasima is one of our common friends and I al- she was also my guest on the first podcast. Mm-hmm. Uh, she named her daughter Nusaiba. Oh, mashallah. So it's uh, it's going to be amazing yes. for her to tell her the stories of Nusaiba radiallahu anha and mm-hmm. all the she was like this warrior woman like she actually went on the battlefield and at during the battle of uhud she protected the prophet she shielded the prophet from attacks and so uh the inside joke is always what if nusaiba turns out to be this very kind and innocent little girl who doesn't have a bone of aggression like not a tiny bone of any form of violence or any you know that like one of those more timid type of personalities mm-hmm. and we always think about that and Khadija another one of our common friends has named her daughter Fatima Zahra Batul Mashallah, it's like Khadija her daughter Fatima. is Fatima and Zahra and Batul are both Fatima and has nicknames it seems so um yeah, so I always thought it was really cool. Mashallah, yes. Khadija's daughter, Fatima. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah, subhanAllah. So that's how we should try to, you know, nowadays what happens is that, you know, like I was saying, the role models that people have, they name themselves, you know, they can ch- change their names to the names of the role models. And then when they have kids, they name the kids, uh, the names of the role models' kids, you know, or stuff like that. So why not go back to the Sahaba and, and name our children based on them? And, you know, inshallah, we're going to get that, the, get the qualities. We you know most of the time you see that a Hamza or, you know, 
um, Khalid is always like furious. Umar, they're always energetic and they're always, you know, courageous and they they have the energy to always do something. That like you said, Uthman and you know these type of people are usually very quiet. So the type of child you want your child to be handsome, name him Yusuf. You want your daughter to be knowledgeable, name him name her Aisha. You know. So we should always go back to the history, inshallah, and find those beautiful gems and try to, you know, and tell our kids, look, I named you this, I named you Aisha, so that, look, one third of the deen came from Aisha, radiallahu anha, and you, you know, a lot of the deen can spread from you as well, and that's what we want from you. So, you know, grow them up with these values and with this courage that, you know, you can do this, and this is why we named you, and this is why we're bringing you up. In order to spread Islam and make, give them that Islamic tarbiyah, the Islamic upbringing from the childhood, and that's how it, 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 you know, they keep those values when they grow up as well. Inshallah. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. It's a very scary thing, though, because one day we're going to become parents. Yeah, and exactly. Oof. the responsibility that comes with it—it's definitely tough. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is, especially with. Like we know how many things we've had to protect. Like we still continue have continue to protect ourselves from. One of the scariest thoughts that run on my mind is how when I was in high, you were, you were uh, homeschooled, right? Mm-hmm. When I was in high school, um, it's the equivalent of high school in US. Um, one of the students was jokingly threatening me that he'd give me cake, and he I think he had, his father was Muslim and something like that. So he knew what halal was and he knew how important it is to muslims mm-hmm. and he was joking that he'd give me brownies mm-hmm. and you never as a rule take brownies from um other people mm-hmm. be- unless you're 100% sure that you trust the person mm-hmm. because what they do nowadays is they put stuff in their brownies yeah, it's called space brownies or something like that mm-hmm. so we have to protect uh, we've had to protect ourselves from these kinds of experiences mm-hmm. because you never know like people would just very genuine they look genuine and they give you something mm-hmm. and you accept it and it turns out to be something really bad mm-hmm. or young girls who think you know what's the big deal it's just one party i trust myself and then they want to go for this party mm-hmm. and they're like you know i'm not going to drink i'm not going to dance mm-hmm. i'm not going to do anything but it's the other people that you can't trust exactly. they might put something in your drink exactly they might misbehave with you mm-hmm. I often go back to this advice that my friend's mom had given her when she was when we were in grade 7 mm-hmm. and her mom was quite strict so she didn't allow her to use um back when we were in grade 7 chatting on Gmail was like <laughs> you know the cool thing yeah. I don't think Instagram was even a big thing back then no, I don't, I don't know so. if it was even there mm-hmm. yeah so um we chatting on gmail was like this big deal and her friend her mom my friend's mom didn't even like give her full access to that mm-hmm. and you know what gmail is yeah. like right so her mom actually uh, advised her told her that i trust you but i don't trust the world it's the world that i don't trust uh-huh. and i took that one level higher and i have come to like one advice i give people is that you can trust yourself but you can't trust shaitan mm. so like you might be in you might be working somewhere and you might your coworkers might be men and you might be like you know why i trust myself i can do mm-hmm. this i'm not going to fall for it i'm not going to make any mistakes but shaitan wants you to do that and he's going to work tirelessly to get exactly. you that, like to make you slip yeah. to make you make that mistake mm, true so yeah so it's a very scary world but there's one other thing i think that you mentioned that came to my mind is how We underestimate the concept of dua, don't we? Yeah. 
when you want to do some good to people you forget that you have to start by making dua for them because you can say all you want you can do all you want but allah who changes and the hearts you know yeah exactly mm-hmm. yeah one of my uh, someone i met in when we were in university she's so much older and she's she's a fatima and i would love to have her on the podcast but i don't know if she'll be up for it um but oh my god i miss i think about spending i think about the times i spent with her like almost every day Mashallah. and she's like one of those people that you could sit with her she will go on for hours by the way mm-hmm. but she won't say a single thing that serves no purpose it's always something about allah it's always something about islam it's always something that will make you a better person mm-hmm. and it was amazing how allah had exactly how allah had given her that ability you know that sweetness of speech that whatever she says you want to listen to mm-hmm. her so so um she i was once just asking her about you know what it like what you're supposed to i was just getting some advice from her about dealing with difficult um, relatives family members so um, i was saying you know this is like sometimes things get tough and like what do you do and she was saying when we think about salatul rahim which is to maintain ties with relatives and mm-hmm. kith and kin we forget that dua is also a form of maintaining a connection okay. like sometimes people can genuinely be toxic mm-hmm. they can genuinely be bad for mm-hmm. you and bad for your islam as well yeah. like bad for your religion your spiritual life mm-hmm. and in that case if you want to maintain a distance you can but if you also want to have like silatul rahim you can make dua for them mm-hmm. and that's also a way of keeping in touch yeah true yeah yeah what, what i was trying to get to is um sorry were you saying something no no go ahead no, no what i was trying to get to is um uh, how we were talking about judging people and stuff and mm-hmm. it's always harder to be more patient with the people who are closer to you more involved in your life yeah, yeah. definitely what do you say yeah how do you deal with i that? i'm so i so i agree to that because like sometimes if my sister does something i won't forgive her for it but if someone else does it i said oh it's okay you know you're good <laughs> you know so and then she she would t- come back to me and she was like you know you wouldn't forgive me for that so why are you forgiving her you know so that's what it is sunnah rahim and you know ties of kinship with your own family your mm-hmm. own relatives even when you get, have to give zakah when you have to give sadaqa whenever you you know what whatever it is in islam the prophet sallallahu alaihi taught us to start with our own people first you know and subhanallah that's we we get a lesson from that that if they're poor you know give them before you give others so they have a greater right you, you know you have you have to take care of their rights more than you take care of the rights of others so you know it's definitely hard because you know you 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 tend to be impatient with them but we have to go out of the way to do it you know you have to step on your nafs you have to tell yourself that you know they have uh, more haq than the others out there because you know they've done so much more good f- for me they've done so much you know that i have to pay back you know and it's definitely harder but you know we had to make the make the what do you call it you know work with them yeah. and you know take out time take out uh, energy and like you said make dua if it's very difficult and just be kind to them even though they're being and that's called akhlaq you know If you're being kind to someone who's kind to you, that's a transaction. But if you're being kind to someone who's unkind to you, that's called being nice to them. That's akhlaq, 
right? That's what the Prophet ﷺ would teach us. Jeez. So inshallah, may Allah give us a tawfiq. You know, it's hard to, it's easy to say, hard to do. Absolutely, very, very hard. Mm-hmm. Because you spend like so much time with these people and I guess it's because, you know, you when you really love someone, on the one hand, you want to protect them from making mistakes that could like affect them. And so when they make those mistakes, you're quick to react. You're like, why would you do that? How could you do this? It's going to affect your, you know, it's going to do this, it's going to do that to your future and blah, blah, blah. And on the other hand, you obviously the more someone does, like, I have this idea, this principle that you can only be mad or upset with someone who does something for mm-hmm. you. If they don't do anything, if they they no if they have no role in your life then what are you mad like there's nothing you have no expectations from exactly. them unfortunately we have expectations from the people we love mm-hmm. so they're more prone to make mistakes and to slip mm-hmm. up but i like to acknowledge that it's a difficult um thing to navigate especially because nowadays we're living in quite complicated times right mm-hmm. it feels like everyone you meet is carrying emotional baggage mm-hmm. everyone you meet is worried and stressed out and something is bothering them mm-hmm. like i guess i guess it's also because of the state of the umma yeah. like we are collectively deteriorating so that sin is bound to weigh on us mm-hmm. at one point but also like i like to acknowledge that it's not easy mm-hmm. because that gives me a break and it makes it's it makes it's not like i don't put pressure on myself to deal with the situation immediately mm-hmm. i realize I, I understand that okay it's, you have to take an organic approach to deal with mm-hmm. it like you have to think about it you know you don't like if you if someone else makes a like you said someone else makes a mistake they immediately tell you oh my god i'm so sorry i shouldn't have done that and you'll be like no it's absolutely fine mm-hmm. that you can solve that problem in like 10 minutes <laughs> yeah. exactly 2 seconds but someone in your family makes a mistake and you can't it might take a day or two mm-hmm. sometimes longer and i i like to think that it's okay as long as you don't intend to completely cut them off and you want to work on it like slowly mm-hmm. it's okay mm-hmm. so i go back to how the same prophet sallam who was known for his forgiveness and his mercy and his love mm-hmm. and patience and understanding there was one companion whose face he couldn't look at even though he forgave that companion that was wahshi yeah. because wahshi who became a companion in the end he accepted islam and he did amazing things for islam mm-hmm. but he killed the prophet sallallahu's beloved uncle when he yeah mm-hmm. when he relied on that uncle the most so i think about how that prophet sallallahu also like struggled because when like i said when people you love get hurt or when mm-hmm. the people you love hurt you mm-hmm. it hurts a lot more yeah definitely and even like you know i don't want to like i don't mean to bring it up but then uh ali radiyallahu anhu when he he's the he was a um son-in-law of the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam right when he talked about marrying more than one while he was married to fatima radiyallahu anha the prophet sallallahu said it would hurt me if it will hurt my daughter it hurt me you know even though many other companions were married to four or, five, or three or two wives at the time but he sort of stopped Ali radiyallahu anhu from doing so until his daughter Fatima radiyallahu anha was alive so you know it, that that's that's so true it's human nature for things to hurt you more when it's more closely related to you you know someone who's in your yeah. own family or uh, when a close person says something to you does something to you you don't you don't expect that from them so when the unexpected happens you're like oh you know how did this come my way and you sort of you know tend to feel it 
more than when someone else did it because you don't really know them they don't really know you so you tend to easily forgive them so definitely it is hard yeah. it takes a while but you know may Allah give us the sabr and patience to deal with such circumstances inshallah I know I think I often think that is one of the one of the biggest struggles that a Muslim woman has to deal with because whether we like it or not as women we are the peacemakers mm-hmm. I think like especially nowadays I think I was I don't remember whether it was in a podcast or whether it was in another session I was just talking to my friend I think and I was saying that whether I think it was previous session with Zubia we were just talking about how a woman's smile is important Definitely. a woman's mood affects the mood of everyone else in the mm-hmm. house when your mother is in a bad mood you know it's a bad day exactly. when the sister is upset about something nobody can be happy mm-hmm. so we are the we are the adornments that Allah has sent in this world after mm-hmm. all so um as women we tend to get hurt more mm-hmm. and we tend to because i guess we love differently mm-hmm. and we have more expectations probably so i don't know so i guess we it's important to learn how to solve these problems how to deal with them and how to find allah like make sure that allah is the goal like make sure that pleasing allah is the goal of resolving that whole thing um I know that oh it's taken 1 hour and 20 minutes I thought it, this I'm enjoying this conversation so much and I really wanted to go on but unfortunately time is not permitting our best friend <laughs> yep it's just clicking and ticking until you know that comes subhanallah <laughs> subhanallah just earlier today I got the news that someone that I was working with when I was she became my teacher at one like recently she started teaching me some basic introduction introductory fiqh mm-hmm. she's I think in her late 20s mm-hmm. and she has like this small kid she's a two year old and a one year old mm-hmm. and just earlier she's, she's so she, earlier today she just announced that her husband passed away suddenly during Asr yeah we love and I mean it's very difficult to um like it's very important that we like you mentioned it on your own actually how important death is and we have to acknowledge it um the thing is she's such a sweet soft spoken person and she comes from so much love you know everything she says is full of love and she loves her children and she loves her family mm-hmm. and she t- talks about her husband all the time but allah knows best allah knows exactly when what should end mm-hmm. so Yeah. yeah. You just have to prepare so, for that. The clock is ticking. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. You have to. There was someone else that I knew. She was the she was like the life of the room, you mm-hmm. know. She loved food. She loved talking about food. Mm-hmm. She loved talking and socializing and she was loud and she was that personality, mm-hmm. you know. Like she loved wearing bright colors mm-hmm. and she was also like she also loved Allah and she loved practicing Islam and she was that kind of person as well. Mm-hmm. but she had a few health complications and last year um at some point it got quite bad i think she had lupus if i'm not mistaken it was affecting her kidneys she had to go into surgery and things got pretty intense mm-hmm. but it happened a number of times you know in the past few years so everyone thought okay it's going to be okay mm-hmm. she didn't make it yeah, i still remember when the news came that she had passed i i still look at her instagram because it's still there yeah, and i'm like she's not there yeah. like the world is the world is going on mm. you know it continues that person's not there oh. their life is just over yeah. that's it the book is closed 
but the world goes mm-hmm. on and it makes you think about all the some people they put Allah second and they put people first mm-hmm. and they make all these changes to their Islam for the sake of people yeah. and when you die those people will move on exactly it'll all, it's, it's, all, it's, only, it's only Allah who Allah. we have to return to who we have to stand up in front of and you know answer all the questions and so it's best to always put Allah forth and uh, you know live for his pleasure die for his pleasure stand up in front of him and inshallah be able to you know confidently answer the questions of the grave and the hereafter and you know Allah I tried my best you know we can say Allah I tried my best with the wealth with the ability with the health with the time you had given me you know I tried to spend it for your sake so you know Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran inna Allah ashtara minal mu'minina anfusahum wa amwalahum bi anna lahum al-jannah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already bought he has already bought our anfusahum our lives and our amwalahum and our wealth for in, in return for jannah so if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has already purchased something, it's a loan, you know. We're basically indebted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for our lives and our wealth. So we can't spend it the way we want. We can't spend our health, our time, our money the way we want. We have to spend it in accordance how Allah wants because He has already purchased it. He's the owner of it. SubhanAllah. So... I enjoyed this conversation, man. Really loved it. Alhamdulillah. Same. I really needed it also. Same here. Because I do miss being in the company of people who just talk to me about hadith and tell me about the Prophet Sallallahu and it's, it's such a blessing. Um, I have, I'm sorry, I'm going to take just a bit more of your time because there was one very important question I wanted to ask you, which is, and that'll be the last question. <laughs> um, I just wanted to ask you how so people can't see you obviously now they're listening and those who for those who are listening Zainab grew up in USA right you're living right right now also you're there yeah in Chicago so um and in Chicago uh, you're all over USA I feel like every time I message you you're in a different state (laughs) so um in spite of that like you're wearing abaya you're wearing the um what do you call it we call it a jilbab in Sri Lanka yeah abaya hijab and niqab so it's like the three things. Abaya is what covers okay. the whole body. Hijab is the, what covers your hair and comes, you know, falls down from there. And then niqab is what covers your face. Niqab, right? So um, you manage to like you're pretty confident in it. Like you're confident about your Islam. You're a confident Muslim. How do you maintain that identity? Like what keeps you going? So Alhamdulillah, first of all, it's all, you know, it's the greatness, it's the blessing of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that He gave me that confidence. It's because, you know, when you know that you're do- what you're doing is the right thing, then why be shaky about it, you know? When you know that covering is, is the order of Allah, the hukum of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and the way shown to us by the Prophet and his wives and the sahabiyat, then you know and subhanallah when when the order of hijab came down when the order of covering yourself came down one of the sahabia she was walking home you know she could have just gotten home quickly but she just immediately when it came across her ears that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed the order for hijab she sat down next to a bush and she didn't move from there until one of her maharim her, the men folk in her house bought a hijab she wore it and then she walked back to get home so, you know, that's how they implemented, quickly implemented, instantly, whatever came down from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Subhanallah. 
So you know, once I got the realization, Alhamdulillah, you know, in Islam, uh, you know, we, we sh- it's, it becomes obligatory ab- upon us to start covering ourselves when we become, you know, when we age, re- reach the age of puberty. So Alhamdulillah, ever since then, I've been covering since I was, you know, 12 years old. And, you know, the way my mom taught me covering and the way the community I lived in, the madrasa I went to, you know, everyone did it. And they did it so confidently that that left an impact on me. So I wanted to do it from even before it was compulsory for me to do it. You know, I wanted to wear the niqab. And I was like, no, wait until it's your age to do it. Because once you wear it, it's not a game. You can't be wearing it and taking it off. It's not a part-time thing. Once you wear it, then you have to follow the orders of Allah and wear it in front of everyone. That includes your cousins, your your aunt's husband, your, you know, all your khalu, we call it. You know, khala's husband. And whoever Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you know, asked us to cover in front of you have to cover in front of them and it can't be like something that you're doing on and off so i took my time to make the decision when i was 12 that's when i started and alhamdulillah you know when i feel confident about it because i know it's the right thing you know if it was something that wasn't the right thing to do then i would feel shaky i would have a question mark should i do it should i not that's not a question you know it is the right way we should do it and we should do it confidently because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is everywhere. You know, a lot of times, you know, when I moved to Medina Munawara and then when I would fly back and forth from there to America, from there to Pakistan or wherever, then I would see that, you know, a lot of people, they would get onto the plane and they're all black. They're all wearing their hijab, niqab, abaya. And then once they, um, once they get off the plane, they're totally changed. Like their their dress is totally changed. So that always like rang a bell and like what's going on? And uh, then I realized that, you know, I asked a lot of Saudi girls, you know, why would you do that? They said, because it's the culture and the norm to do it in Saudi Arabia, but and you don't stand out. But when you come to America and you do it, then you stand out. So it, it all comes back to who are you doing it for, right? So if we're doing it for Allah, then Allah is in America as well. You know, the same Allah who you're doing it for in Saudi or in Medina Munawwara, in Mecca Mukarramah, is here in America as well. And if you're doing it for the people, like we said earlier, the people are not going to help you on the Day of Judgment. The people are not going to help you after you die. They're going to call you the dead body, the lash we say in Urdu or, you know, the mayit, you know. So the people are not going to come with you. They're not going to be there and they're not going to be answerable on the Day of Judgment. It's going to be me who's going to have to answer. So do it for Allah then wherever we do it, we're going to do it with the consciousness that Allah is watching me. I did it for him in the Kaaba, next to the Kaaba, and I'm going to continue doing it for him in America as well. You know, So the intention, it all comes back to the intention. And inshallah, may Allah give us all sincere intentions and allow us to continue doing it for his mm-hmm. sake. And inshallah, we'll continue doing it wherever we are. And once we know that it's the right thing to do, We'll do it with confidence. And that's my identity. You know, if I don't wear it, I feel like I'm uncovered. I feel undressed. I feel like my protection is being taken away from me. You know, so it's not like I cover, but then that makes a barrier between me and other people, you know, to deal with. It's hard for me to walk in in life. It's hard for me to, you know, talk to other people. No, I wear the niqab and I own horse. I owned horses. I go horseback riding. I go swimming in my niqab. I go hiking. I just recently came back from a a road trip from here. We went all the way to another, uh, you know, past five different states. And we, alhamdulillah, we did hiking onto the Smoky Mountains. And we, my husband and I were the only Muslims in that whole area. And all these whites were just looking at us. And this one lady, she told me, she pulled him aside and she was like, "Um, I have a question. 
What makes you feel that people will accept you the way you are? Because he has a beard, he's wearing this kufi, the topi, he's wearing this jilbab. He's like, what makes you feel in America to be accepted the way you are? And then she, he gave her da'wah about Islam and, you know, our prophet did it. And, you know, we have, you know, we follow our prophet. And Jesus, you know, who you follow as well, used to be covered as well. Mary, who, you know, claim, you claim to be your mother, Mother Mary, did it as well. So we look, we look closer in resemblance to them, you know, than you guys are. So... So then she understood and she was like, you know, and she was like, I, I say salam to you for that, you know, I salute you for that. So Alhamdulillah, you know, it's the way shown to us by the Prophet Sallallahu And inshallah, we will do it with confidence and ask Allah for steadfastness, inshallah. Inshallah. It's not easy, especially if um, you also, um, I mean, Observing hijab is not the, e- the easiest thing to do. So for anyone who is thinking of starting to observe hijab, uh, practice it, it's going to have its own challenges, especially if you come from a family that doesn't observe hijab strongly mm-hmm. and you are the only person who has to cover from the cousins and the only person who has to cover from, you know, these men that you interact with frequently. Mm-hmm. You are going to get a few stares, a few comments maybe, a That's few it. don't be extreme mm-hmm. All of that stuff mm-hmm. is going to come. but And I guess the test is, like you said, the steadfastness. steadfastness. Like, are you going to do it for the sake of Allah? And just continue asking Allah for that steadfastness because that's something that can be taken away very easily, right? Inshallah, we should ask Allah to allow us to be steadfast in this, inshallah. Yeah. So, um, thank you so much, Zainab. Jazakallah khairan for your time. Um, I really enjoyed this conversation and I do pray that Allah puts a lot of barakah in your time and your day. For anyone who's listening, there's no payment, no reward for anyone who comes on my podcast. Not yet, inshallah. I hope I can set that up soon. So the only reward I can give you for now is lots of dua. Lots of dua because you guys deserve it. I pray that Allah gives you the best of this world and the hereafter. You as well. for your time. I had an amazing time conversation with you as well. Alhamdulillah, I really enjoyed it. Inshallah. Thank you, Zainab. Okay, take care. Assalamu alaikum. Wa alaikum assalam Hey guys, we hope you enjoyed that episode. Please remember that we're all figuring things out every day. And if there was anything of benefit in this podcast, it's from Allah. If there were any flaws, it's from us. Please share your thoughts with us on our Instagram account, which goes as the Young Muslima Podcast. And don't forget to give us a follow. We look forward to hearing more from you. Until next time, lots and lots of love and dua. Your sister in Islam, Hiba Malik.